Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 8, Episode 5. It's the spoiler edition, which means we are going to talk about everything. Books included, prophecies included. Uh, Aaron, I, I, this is the last opportunity we're going to have to actually guess about the finale like or talk about what we want to see out of the finale before we actually see it yeah so i did want to take some time today and i feel like this would have been better suited for our ultra mega two and a half hour podcast on tuesday yeah. uh but this is the last opportunity so i definitely want to take it to just talk about what we want we hope to see out of the uh-huh. finale not what we need to see not oh if they don't do this it's gonna suck just like what's what's your feeling going into the finale about it well, um, if I, oh boy, it's such a broad question because like in terms of hashtag fan bankruptcy, this is very dangerous behavior to engage in, Jim. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've got a loan waiting for you. Just right here. I mean, for me. it's it, only, there's 20, money on 29.9% annual percentage yeah. rate. Well, that's only if you default on it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Only if I default. Hmm. Uh, I think. I would. There's a lot of things I'd like to see. I don't know if there's anything must-haves right now. Uh, there's a couple things that I think uh, would probably make things a little better in retrospect. Um, one of the big ones is I would like for Brand to do something, um, anything yeah. that would directly use his um, uh, three-eyed raven powers for something other than just destabilizing the realm and the geopolitical situation he finds himself into. Uh-huh. Something that maybe you would even like go back and think about what he did during the Battle of Winterfell and the the, the long night and think, oh, that's what he was doing. Um, I, I would like to see him d- do something like the, with with the analyzing the history of the Westeros to come up with a a way forward for the realm, or maybe you know he's there's there's going to be some dragon taming that has to be on and like people have been long predicting that one of the ways one of the most epic ways for the three-eyed ravens prophecy about dan uh, uh brand that he'll never walk but he will fly mm-hmm. would be to take to the wings uh, in a dragon um get behind the wheel of a brand new 2019 drogon <laughs> i th- so I, I guess things like that i would like that th- that that would be something interesting um yeah uh, i think that like Checking back in with Brienne to see, because okay. uh, the last time we saw her, she's just on her knees weeping, like just mm-hmm. utterly bereft. And like, that's not how I want to, I want to leave one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I think th- for me, that's the major thing they need to do is give these characters some kind of satisfying ending. Yeah. Um, just like some closure. Uh, if, if, you know, at least for some of the characters that I like, uh, I'm I'm gonna say it's become more difficult to do that. I think after this last episode, but not impossible. Uh, some of these characters that I've come to know and love over the course of these ten years now, uh, I really just want to see some kind of of finality to mm-hmm. their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, something that tells me that they are, you know, they they appreciate where they've been, how far they've come, uh, and and they're different people now. I mean, yeah. that's that's the story of time right. is, is people change. Uh, at least I think so. So I, I, I just want to see the, ser- the characters serviced a little bit more. Yeah. I, I, it'd be nice to see, cause it seems like it's, it's pretty obvious that, uh, there's going to be something that goes down between Danny and John. I presume John is probably going to be victorious unless, you know, Martin and the double D's are going for just maximum emotional devastation and mm-hmm. bummed outness, you know, bittersweet. Uh, 
but but like I'd like also like to see because you know we talked about how I, you know a few episodes ago when John and Sam said goodbye that it felt like that might be the final goodbye that we're never going to see Sam but I think now that John's been sufficiently traumatized that maybe it would be nice to see John be able to hand off the reins of power or something to like a guy like Sam hmm. yeah. um, I would like to you know like I, I don't know how much time we're going to have this but like. I think if there's any hope for bittersweet resolution of this, that we also have to know that our kind of favorite characters are okay. Like, yeah. uh, or not the favorite characters, the realm itself. Like, what is the continuity? Who is going to be on the Iron Throne? What power structure is going to survive? Um, like, is, is, you know, is Varys' hope for the realm being secure actually uh, going to come come to fruition? I don't know how they hint that in the hour that they've got and also wrap up the Danny storyline and all. Yeah. But, like, that's something I would like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see, you know, and so that would get Sans involved. I guess the other thing, the other real big one that I feel strongly about is they have to have something to put the period at the end of San, uh, not Sans, Arya's plot mm. line. Yeah, yeah. Because she was on an arc of this kind of like dark vengeance path and they curved her off of that arc back to where she now has a hope of normalcy. But I think... I've been thinking about it a lot, her running back to Gendry, and, you know, we joked about, oh, I'm ready to be your lady now. Like, that would feel false. It would. So what yeah. does a Arya unburdened with the uh, weight of avenging her family, but also not a conventional lady mm-hmm. in this world that doesn't exactly reward unconventional ladies, what does that actually look like? It would be nice to see a hint of that. Yeah. It's a really good question. I, I don't feel like I have a good answer. Uh, if you ask me to write a conclusion to Arya's story, I don't think I could do it. Uh, the Iron Islands turns out to be a dormant volcano chain that just explodes okay. and wipes it off the map. There are no Iron Islands anymore. But Yara gets out. Nope. Yara goes to Dorne. Nope. 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 She becomes the new uh, Princess of Dorne. Uh, uh, Iron, uh, 20 years out from the Iron <laughs> Island, they're like the Jedi in, in A New Hope. Or it's like vaguely, uh, Iron Islanders? Who? What? Oh, that's hmm. ancient. Ancient islands and hokey, hokey plot devices. Uh, I mean, here we, comes Yara with a lightsaber. <laughs> Westeros just can't risk another Euron. I mean, uh, we, yeah. we just uh, we just make sure that doesn't happen. We need the old Valeria, <laughs> the motherfuckers. There's going to be old iron, uh, old iron islands, and it's just going to be a smoking pit in the middle of the the uh, sunset sea. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, that's I, I I don't know how modest those hopes are because I think you know capping off a character as big as Arya is is uh, and also all the things they built with 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 um towards Bran and his gifts like I feel like mm-hmm. those are pretty modest goals but I'm also worried that I'm setting myself up for failure too. Yeah, I mean you still have a lot of characters that people care about. I mean Davos, I don't I don't know that Davos has much more yeah. uh story in this story but uh the the big one I think as a standout is probably Sansa mm-hmm. because you can't just leave Sansa as an adversary of Danny and just in her story that way mm-hmm. you you need something for sansa whether she continues to be the lady of winterfell in this new uh set of kingdoms whatever that looks like or whether she you know actually sits on the throne perhaps in some weird twist of lineage uh maybe she's also a targaryen somehow mm-hmm. uh who knows but i think they need to do a little bit more with sansa right okay what else uh i i don't know i i think we should probably get to our spoiler section of the podcast because that's what everyone's here for okay uh i will say that ne- for next week i'm working on an outline with my uh, co-author of gods of thrones anthony where we're going to look kind of do a deep dive on i think a lot of 
I think going on the assumption that most of these plot points, like Danny turning turning evil, and even maybe Jamie uh, with with Cersei, um, that, that these beats are going to pretty much happen in the book. Um, obviously, the the toughest one's going to be the Night King because there's not even a Night King in the the mm-hmm. books, or at least thus far. Uh, but like, if we grant that. This is kind of more or less the shape that George Martin intended, uh, and then we're going to go and rewind it to where we are at in the books because we've long talked about how the show has 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 pared down a lot of the plots that are going on in the books to kind of bring this to conclusion. You know, I was surprised when the Iron Islanders came back because it seemed like that was one of the plots that they were kind of like cauterizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dorn, the reason the kind of Dorn collapsed like a souffle is because the Double Ds decided not to have that second stage ignition where the Dorn, you know, uh, 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 the, the Dornish leaders um, unveiled their, their plot that they had to try to take back the Iron uh, Throne with uh, the Targaryens. Um, there's a lot of other... Um, the young Griff, this this pretender, uh, false uh, Targaryen that uh, Varys and Illyrio were trying to put on the throne. There's a lot of, like, if... Uh, uh, there's a, been a lot of people talking about these theories and, and how they look like if you map them on to what the show has done and how they kind of made a lot more sense. Um, and we're going to kind of uh, delve into that. I want to kind of get people's appetite uh, warmed up for it. Uh, by reading Ellis's D's feedback. And of course, you can send feedback into Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. They continue, they start rather. One theory I've seen pop up a few times is that the show is suffering due to the omission of the young Griff slash fake Aegon storylines from the show. First off, apologies to Jim since this stuff is very book heavy theorizing, but I'd like to know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I'm the- roughly familiar with it, but. The crux of this criticism is that large parts of Westeros have been made redundant, such as Dorne. Uh, this has always been the case with the show. The Reach, the Stormlands, and only the North and King's Landing ever being uh, ever being relevant. Secondly, there's an argument that several characters' arcs and motivations have become weakened and diffuse as a result of these omissions, such as Varys, Tyrion, and uh, Euron. These factors are said to contribute to the poor execution of the end of the show since Daenerys' clear military advantage over Cersei had to be artificially reduced to level the playing field by making her advisors suddenly stupid, such as Tyrion, the Long Night uh, plot only serving to have her forces, and the capture of three characters such as Yara, Alaria, and her daughter, resulting in her losing a large chunk of her Westerosi allies. These theories claim that Dan- Daenerys won't have these advantages when she finally crosses over in the books since young Griff already has the support of Dorne and Varys who has been trying to put him on the throne since King's Landing fell to the Lannisters and Bobby B, and after taking over the Stormlands, will likely be set to oust Tommen from King's Landing. Again, not my theory, just what Reddit's saying. So it'll be Targ versus Targ versus Targ, Danny, fake Aegon, and Jon Snow slash Aegon showdown in the end. While this theory holds some water, I think it's somewhat unfair criticism of the Double Ds for having omitted it. The entire Young Griff storyline is still in its infancy in the books, and we're only introduced to him in dance. Uh, there's still a lot of fleshing out to be done. No, I want to say that like if when Anthony and I explore this, I'm this isn't going to be a takedown of the double D's because I think when you're adapting the books and you're still thinking that you're going to get at least the winds of winter, so you get a better idea what George is um, looking mm-hmm. at. And if you look at his in game, where you know here's the person that's going to here are the battles that take place, and here's who's going to live and who's going to die, it'd be very easy in season four or five to be like, okay, well we can just trim this plot and we can trim this plot it doesn't matter but then when you have to do the thing that martin himself is having to do where it's like oh shit we've got all these different pieces where do how do we get them to where they need to be 
that's when some of these weaknesses expo- uh, kind of expose themselves. So it's like, yeah, maybe if the Double Ds could go back to Season 5 and lay some of these, they would have, but they couldn't. And I'm not sure if it's a bad decision hmm. from when they made it. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, we're going to be uh, the, the kind of like have like a 20, 30 minute conversation for the spoiler edition next week. And of course, we'll also be able to roll in anything that's come out in this weekend's episode because um, it's a po- it's possible. There's a possibility that I don't think that if, if you're like dead set into thinking that, you know, there is no straw that broke the dragon's back, that it's going to make everything all right. And mm-hmm. if you're just fundamentally unsatisfied at the death of Rhaegar and how the Battle of Winterfell, I don't think it'll be enough to salvage it. But if you're kind of like in that roughly one-third of fandom that's kind of like, well, yeah, I'm disappointed, but I'm also not just like, a po- uh, you know, just, just fucking my, having a conniption fit over it. Maybe it could win these, uh, win, you, win over some uh, centrist independence in the yeah. Game of Thrones election. <laughs> uh, pr- probably so. I mean, I, I, you know, was not one who had declared fan bankruptcy after that Winterfell uh, episode and after the episode. How's your it. fan portfolio looking now, Jim? Uh, I've... I've liquidated it all it has not been enough to cover my debts and therefore fan yeah. bankruptcy uh yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that we can go into the next episode and just get some good character moments some some closure on all this stuff and i'm looking forward to being a bankrupt fan next episode he's, he's got not but pocket lint and his last uh free burrito gift card from <laughs> chipotle right uh but he's he's hanging on that card uh, okay, so we got a lot of... I, th- I thought it's appropriate because, you know, it's tough. It's a spoiler podcast. We've always tried to look at the books, uh, look at the show through the prism of the books. And one of the things that I kind of I found especially shocking is one of the kind of bedrock things I've always felt is that even if the show doesn't deal with the prophecy like the Valonqar, that that gives us a hint to how... like like the, I've said it many times. I'll be shocked if you don't look back and think, oh, okay, even though the show didn't go into the Valonqar prophecy, I can totally see how that would fit in. I don't know that Jamie <laughs> and Cersei dying together no. in, I mean, you know, being killed and crushed by King's Landing fits that. It doesn't exactly not fit it, but I feel like that this isn't episode to start, like, sifting through the tea leaves and trying to figure it out. So so this is going to be more of um, disappointed book fans uh, trying to come to grips with uh, what we saw in this last episode, as well as people who are trying to square the circle and say, actually, if you think about it. So uh, if that sounds good, let's let's get into it. Before we get further into the podcast, I want to talk about what's going on here at baldmove.com. I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's another fantastic series on HBO right now, Chernobyl. Uh which is a different sort of disaster from the, what we see from the destruction of King's Landing. This is a, a very much a 20, 20th century type of disaster involving a, a nuclear reactor exploding in Russia back in the 80s. Uh, and it's, it's really good. It's got a great cast. Um, it seems like it's, it's, it's got a lot of uh, accuracy and, and drama to it. And we're having a great time covering it. Uh, as much as you can in a disaster like this where people's fel- faces are literally melting off uh, over on our TV podcast feed. You can you can find that by searching for Bald Move TV in your favorite podcast app. And also this Friday, we're going to be talking about some other great television such as Catch-22, the new uh, series on Hulu, Fleabag, Returning to Amazon. And also we'll be talking about our thoughts on the Muhammad Ali What's My Name documentary, uh, also debuting this this week on HBO. 
also, uh, we will early next week have full coverage of John Wick 3 Parabellum in the Bald Movies feed. Uh, that's also where you can find our Super Serious Film Fest. We just released Excalibur. Uh, we have one more film in that series, the Super Serious Film Fest Fantasy. Uh, please subscribe to the Movies feed. Search for Bald Movies in your favorite uh, podcast aggregator to find that and subscribe so you can get all that great information. Uh, we'll also after immediately after the live recording of our podcast on Tuesday, we're going to go on twitch.tv slash bald, bald move me and Jim. We're going to be playing a browser based game of Thrones game called winter is coming. Uh, it's not actually, a, it's not a sponsorship or anything. We're just kind of wanting to ke- uh, kick the tires and check it out. And we're also going to be broadcasting our old gameplay footage of, uh, us playing through the, the, the old Forrester campaign of the telltale game of Thrones uh, game as well. And if you're not familiar with us playing those style of games, we try to make all the bad choices. Uh, most people try to do the right thing by their character. We always are looking to subvert your expectations and a good time is had by everyone except for house Forrester. Uh, finally, we have a bunch of merch, uh, merch.com, merch.baldmove.com is where you can find some great t-shirt designs involving, uh, bald move and game of Thrones. Uh, my book that I wrote, God, uh, gods of Thrones is still selling at gods of Thrones.com and it continues to be 25% off. Uh, we also have the stairwood pin design still available in limited quantities at pin y.com. Uh, and as far as the merch site, still not too late to declare hashtag fan bankruptcy. We have a T-shirt for uh, the fans that have lost everything but the shirt on their back. Even if, if you got no shirt on your back, we got a shirt for you, merch.baldmove.com. Uh, and that's what's going on here at baldmove.com. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. (laughs) 
Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. For Prestige, me and Aaron are still extending our Shogun Afterglow with part three of our discussion of the 1980s TV miniseries. Last week absolutely shocked our sensibilities with Lord Toronaga doing the tango. What delights and horrors will await us this week? Then for Pulp, this Friday, join us for our latest prep session for House of the Dragon Season 2 as we take another look at the key differences between the text of Fire and Blood and the on-screen action for Season 1 and what they mean for the characters, story, and setting. Get your Valerian steel sharpened for the new season. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Here's the scenario for you. It's late on Sunday. You've watched the final episode of Game of Thrones, and you've got to need to talk about it with your friends. But how many of you have a ready-made set of buddies that are as knowledgeable and passionate about Thrones as you? That's where we come in. After the final episode airs this Sunday, we'll take to the microphones to discuss the end, which becomes our instant take. But did you know, we also record an extended version live, which features a discussion of the episode with the Bald Move community. The catch is, you have to be a club member to watch, listen, and participate. But it's easy to sign up. Just go to club.baldmove.com where you can see all the premium features club memberships grants. And you can start a free 30-day trial. Join in on the After Thrones conversation at club.baldmove.com. Again, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com is how you send in feedback. Anna M., uh, I'm curious if you guys will cover the next books if and when they ever come out. I know it may be unlikely, but if they do get released, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Um Anna, I think it's almost a lock since we are definitely going to be covering the prequel series and any of the other spinoffs of Game of Thrones for as long as they continue to be interesting creatively, you mm-hmm. know, and, and entertaining to us. Um, uh, that if Winds of Winter comes out and is released, it'll be a day one read for me. Mm. Like I'm, I yeah. literally stay up as late as necessary to read because, like, I just, I, I, I gotta know. I, 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 like now more than ever, I gotta know how much this ma- can George do a better job? Can he garden his way out of this? Like, I'm literally like, this is one of the more interesting things in entertainment out there. So yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think- don't know what your interest would be in just kind of like talking through that stuff with me, or yeah, um, I don't know. I've never read any of the books. Right. Um, I feel like I would just be so lost uh, jumping into this story at the the point that it's at. Maybe I don't. I don't know if I could get up to speed in time yeah. to you know day two do a podcast. I think I think almost uh, this would drive fucking book fans crazy. But I think you could skip the first three. I think you could you could you could skip Game of Thrones because they're very uh, similar to the show. Clash and yeah. uh, Clash of Kings and Storm of Swords. Um, just because, yeah, they're very very faithful. Uh, but yeah, the the big Difference are happening and dance with uh, Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons. So you read those <laughs> two. Are, the, are they, they the, the two. worst books? Like you're what? telling me, skip the good ones, read the bad ones. But you know, you got all the good stuff. The good, and they're not. They're not bad. They're just. They're not like the they're first three are just very tight. Yeah. And everything you kind of see, everything's like like after Game of Thrones, everything's ahead of steam. That's building the things, building things, building the things, and um, whereas Feast and, and Dance just kind of like spread out and kind of take their time to set up the geopolitical i mean imagine like if if uh it's it's i mean the whole problem with these books if if i can be so bold and i'm not the first one to say this but george martin intended to have a five-year time jump you know show how these stark children were going to you know as as young cadets go out into the world and be brutally fucked 
uh, and get thrown to the mercy of their of their enemies, and then flash forward five years to see how they then you, you play their individual parts to get vengeance and and to restore justice in the kingdom. And as he started doing that, his gardener tendency just realized, ah, you know, some of these guys are w- really well suited to do that, and others are just like, there's no way, like you can't take uh um aria as a little girl getting on the boat to bravos and five years later she comes back and can switch faces and stuff he just like so he's like oh i gotta actually tell a story i gotta tell the story of how danny learns to be a queen i gotta do all that stuff and it's almost like imagine if if before game of thrones he had to tell the roughly 20 year piece of like of of uh the robert's rebellion and Mm -hmm. uh, all the little petty petty jealousies and strifes and intricate planning the illyrio and and very no he just jumped right into the most interesting part of the story where all that shit was falling apart well now feast and dance is all about the like war of the five kings is over and the shits are in control of king's landing and danny is kind of beat whooped slavers bay what does that look like Mm -hmm. and what what does that what so it's interesting, interesting in a different way. It's interesting in a different way, but it's it's not the pulse pounding. Oh my god! Not that, but and and there are those moments that that um, George puts in there, um, but they're nothing like the red wedding. There's nothing like the beheading of of, of Ned stuff like that. So I saw uh, that. Um, was it Barristan Selmy? The, the guy who plays him mm-hmm. was out there saying, "Oh yeah, George has got the books written. He's yeah. got he's actually got both of them written. They're they're going to come out two months after the." series ends i've got i've got a vicious completely untrue rumor to spread about the books george actually was offered a two book deal he said no i'll do it in one yeah (laughs) yeah that's that's the rumor i'm starting (laughs) did you see that george came out pretty hard against this this rumor but, oh yeah, I did. But he I would did. if there's a top secret publisher deal that you of know course, yeah. uh, had an ironclad uh, do you know NDA, then you'd expect him to do that. But uh, yeah, Ian's out there going crazy. Uh, so, but the, the good news is just to get to your your um, question, Anna, is I think that regardless of whether Jim is going to be up for that or not, I've got a lot of like friends in in mm-hmm. podcasting and like Anthony that would be happy to come in. I, I even kind of want to come back for Fire and Blood, to be honest. Oh yeah, and that comes out I think later on this year. Um. So yeah. Wait, I, I didn't that. I thought that came out last. Just the first volume. Oh, there are two volumes. Three hundred okay. years of Targaryen history. We're only through yeah. the first hundred fifty, Jim. Uh, the double D's could have done it in one. Yeah. one volume. <laughs> they only need six chapters. No. Uh, the publisher offers them ten, but they they take six. <laughs> Uh, okay, I think we've answered that thoroughly. James H. In this latest episode, the bells, we finally get an answer to the question: What is Martin playing at? And how uh, the story of fire and ice will go down as the building up of a fantastic, a fanatical tyrant rather with loyal followers willing to do anything for her whose entitlement and lust for power corrupted her and presumably her downfall at the hand of the prince that was promised, which is a valid and even commendable story to tell. And in retrospect, I kind of think it's genius. The true threat was never the white walkers. It was the humans and it was right in front of us the whole time, but not the human we thought was the problem all along. I will say that like one thing I didn't mention in the um, our predictions or I guess our hopes and fears type of segment is it would be nice if they found a way to make the prince that was promised a little bit more of a thing as Mm -hmm. much time as they've spent kind of promoting that theory. Uh, in connection with the White Walkers explicitly, the fact that Arya is the one that killed them. So is the, or, 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 it'd be nice for them to come up with a clever way to retrofit that prophecy into, well, actually, the Lord of Light is keeping Jon around because he knows that 
this the, you know this imbalanced situation caused Danny to go mad and that he was going to be a check. I, it'd be nice to, to for them to acknowledge that that is like a greater fulfillment of that. I don't know how they would do that. And yeah, it's so much harder to do it now than it yeah. would have been, you yeah. know, two episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, but that's the other thing is like that's why it's like it's really tough to peg this because this show, unlike so many others, like this show could be redeemed through George really nailing the books because if we look back and see like, oh, well, the show is kind of a Cliff Notes rushed version of that. But like some of these moments that didn't quite work in the show would work if you actually knew the act, the things that the characters are, quote unquote, supposed to have said or supposed to have done. Um, kind of like the way the the old um, uh, David Lynch I think Dune movie works if you're familiar with the Dune universe is like okay this doesn't tell the story very well but it does a great job of visually telling things like the Clegane Bowl and the destruction of King's Landing and mm-hmm. you know the the Battle of Winterfell like it, I, I could see it being redeemed and also man like I'm impressed with just not even a week out how many people have gone through and started to do the, the connective things and show all the re- the foreshadowing that went into Danny being the Mad Queen I don't think it fully redeems how they did the plot but nope. like this is just what people have had to do in a week and what happens when new books come out what happens when Fire and Blood comes out if there's another fucking Dunkin' Egg novel that um, it gives a little this show's got this show's got legs in a way that most shows when they end don't it's like Breaking Bad you've got Better Call Saul but um, you know like Lost there's not going to be any more Lost lore that comes out that could potentially give that extra meaning if you were un, if you were unhappy with it you know yeah um, moving on with James, uh, the true travesty here is the narrative execution. Of course, uh, these last two seasons have been forced through at break that pace, break neck pace, and have been failing the execution. Uh, and it's been a huge disservice to the previous six seasons of television. Some of the best ever made for those hoping Martin's books will play out differently. I think they'll be in for a rude awakening. I think the double D's have faithfully laid out Martin's bullet points. They just struggled to connect the dots. That's fine. I don't think the bullet points are bad, right? Like, no, the bullet points could be amazing. Yeah. It's just those dots need to be connected. I mean, because I, 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 I said that I didn't see a lot of people saying that they were just unhappy with Danny turning evil. Um, I, th- th- that's not true. There's obviously a lot of people out there saying that, but there's like sure. there's but smart takes on both sides and there's dumb takes on both sides. Mm-hmm. Like the people are just like there's you know mad that Danny turned evil. That's not. I don't think that, you know, it's, it's fine to be disappointed, but, like, it's a narratively valid choice, and there's certainly tracks that were laid in that direction. You just didn't yeah. like it. Um, and then I think the other, the the dumb take on the other side is, like, there's zero problems with execution, and they did it, and you guys are just pissed off and mad, and, oh, by the way, no one's ever happy with the way anything ends. Cough, cough, Avengers, <laughs> Endgame, cough, cough, Breaking Bad, cough, cough, The Leftovers. Like... <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, there's there's dumb t- there's you know the human condition is a fucking bell curve and you got goofballs on all sides of it. So, um, Shaban says I read the two twenty thousand or two hundred thousand fans signing petition for season eight remakes and <laughs> oh I have a plan. God. Have you seen this? Yo, have I ever? Yeah. I did you think... sign it? Did you sign it, Aaron? No, fuck no. Okay, um, good. Because these petitions are dumb. Uh, <laughs> I think. It is. It would be v- damn interesting to see someone twenty years from now essentially do that. 
Like, we are going to yeah. take as canon up through season six, and then we're going to reimagine season seven and eight. Kind of like the way they did. This is There's precedent, because we, we, mm-hmm. there is one thing that I can think of that's had the sim- similar thing, which is uh, Full Metal Alchemist, uh, oh. uh, anime mm-hmm. series. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the anime show started off really, really strong, and everybody liked it, and then it caught ahead of its manga, manga um, roots, uh, and, and it, it finished ahead of that, and everybody kind of hated it. And then they came out a few years later once the manga was finished and did the, uh, the, the Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, I think, where they did it the way. And it, that was a lot more highly regarded. Like, I think there's room for, especially if the books come out and HBO still has the properties, like, why not do, I don't know what you would call it, Game of Thrones Remastered or Game of Thrones The Maester's Take or, but yeah, like, you'd have to recast everybody, but like, End it with Danny and our fleet heading to Westeros because I think most people were the vast majority of fans were happy with Game of Thrones 100% up until then. And this redo books or season seven and eight with with insights you get from Winds and Dream of Spring if they're is finished. Um, so do you think that HBO would willing to would be willing to do that? Yeah, I think they would. I mean, the show is so huge for them. I think it would get people extremely excited. It would cause, you know, a, a massive resurgence in like HBO Now subscriptions, and right. they would have every financial incentive to do it. People would be going back and you know, like going back and watching all the seasons yeah. to get you know the. But the, the 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 challenge of that, because I think the one thing this show did just superbly, is cast. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that you're going to have a real hard time is find a cast that can be these people. You'd have to do like essentially a um a Joss Whedon wasn't it Joss Whedon or was it the other guy that did Star Trek the reboot that was uh Abrams Abrams JJ Abrams, Abrams. Yeah. you'd have to do that level of casting where like people look at Chris Pine and like goddamn yeah that's a fucking good young uh Captain Kirk you look at uh, Zachary Quinto Zachary Quinn, yeah. like that's a damn fine spock like you you have to nail it like that and it's that's i actually think that's harder than just casting impeccable book characters because then it's like people got their feelings but they haven't seen flesh and blood holy shit that's ned stark holy shit that's uh that's queen daenerys like you've got to compete with that it can be done it's just very very hard i almost think it would be better to go back and do the entire series over like Uh I, i mean look at lord of the rings right it's being rebooted already as an amazon prime original uh, is it we, just whoa 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 is it actually just the lord of the rings the like the the original I, saga i thought I it think was so but maybe i'm wrong okay. about that, yeah because i thought it was like maybe cimmerillion type of stuff but i don't know they're calling it the lord of the rings mm. uh, oh at least from what i've read uh mm. which has been very little admittedly uh but yeah I, I almost think it would pay to like yeah recast entirely mm-hmm. um go back and remake the entire series because who's not gonna watch it like yeah like you can watch the old ones or you can watch the new ones and talk about them with your friends as they come out like that seems the way to go yeah i mean i've often wondered like we could be like like, would anyone ever reboot the harry potter series because almost everyone agrees that that was really well cast and they're pretty happy with the way it went and i know there's some purists that like (laughs) start quibbling with the later books that they didn't have every detail in and maybe they didn't do justice by ron's character etc but like it's always risky to redo the whole like all seasons one through six of Game of Thrones because they're so fucking good to redo it. Like you got you, you, you got to be at least as good if not better. Yeah, if just, just shot as, for shot. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but then why not? Why bother at all? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a weird question. Yeah. Um, and I think also like there's zero reason to do this unless George finishes the books. Agree or disagree? 
Uh, disagree. Huh, I, I okay. think I think uh, like I said, the financial incentive would be strong. Okay. I think there are many many people a valid who would tune creative in for it. reason. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that, that fans would be happy with just just for the, the sake of being you know. Uh, so I think the if you tried to reboot, let's call it a reboot, seasons you know seven and eight, mm-hmm. a lot of fans would be cheering, a lot of fans would tune in, and a lot of fans would be angry. I think like the people who are really defensive about this and really love it mm-hmm. and think it didn't have any execution problems would probably be like, this doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna predict right now that the overall tone of the discussion in yeah. future years about game of Thrones is going to be an amazing show uh-huh. that ended extremely poorly. Like yeah. lost, like yeah. uh, so, so many others that, you know, just couldn't make it quite across the finish line. Yeah. And so I think once you get far enough out, like five, 10, you know, 20 years out, the opportunity to reboot these last seasons just grows and grows. Yeah. Because people, you know, the people who once were fans get a little bit of time from it. And I'm not saying their opinion will change. I'm just saying they might be up for like, oh, let's let's check out how they do this remake. I mean, I would. I would definitely watch it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just uh, just just out of morbid cure, like I'd be in for a Harry Potter reboot. Like, I mean, that's a we always have a category in the Baldies or annual kind of fake award show where it's like highest risk, highest reward. Yeah. And like <laughs> rebooting Game of Thrones, rebooting Harry Potter. Anytime you go back and or like if they're really reboot rebooting Lord of the Rings is crazy high risk because if that's what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. The extended versions of Lord of the Rings are damn near perfect additions in fact mm-hmm. a lot of times when you, like the hardcore tolkien fans start talking about like oh we should put back tom bombadillo back in i'm like i don't know about that like i, mm-hmm. I actually think it's smart to pair off as much of the transition from the childhood the hobbit series to the very dark mature lord of the rings uh i just think that's a that's, that's a addition by subtraction for the type of thing they're going for. So, mm-hmm. like, going and doing that is like, whew, you're off the charts, Brave. Maybe, Maybe they're not foolish. doing it. Maybe it's... Yeah. Um, when is that? Is that, like, this year? I I don't know. It's not as much on my radar as is. it needs to be, I think. <laughs> I need to. I feel yeah. like as soon as I'm done with the, this podcast, I need to go and read everything I can find out about this project. Um, okay. It's one of the most expensive, or the most expensive television that. series yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 ever produced. Uh, Garrett B. Danny is very aware that Tyrion freed his brother. Uh, Danny is very aware that Tyrion, okay, okay. that Tyrion freed his brother prior to the battle at King's Landing. The guards saw Tyrion walk in, and certainly someone checked the tent after his departure. There was at least half a day between the freeing of Jamie to the initiation of battle. Uh, Jamie <laughs> getting freed at night. The battle happening during the day is the only reference to the passage of time. Yeah, but here's the thing. The previous scene established that Danny won the 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 fight as soon as possible, and uh, at first light was thrown out there. So mm-hmm. I'm, it's entirely possible that Tyrion uh, broke Jaime out in the dead of night, and only an hour or so elapsed. Yeah. I do think that it's not like people are going to forget that this happened. It's going to get back to Danny that she freed Jaime, or that 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 Tyrion. Sure. It's going to get back to Danny that Tyrion freed Jaime. I just don't know if it has at right. that point. And there's some people building headcanon in that about that's why Danny snapped and like that's and, until they establish yeah, that you, that's not persuasive, I don't think. No, you're free to do that. Like if if sure. that fills those gaps for you in the story, like go ahead and do that, but don't 
act as if this is proof and everyone should believe it and just take it at face value. But I will say that it's it's entirely reasonable to assume that Danny's going to find out about uh, Tyrion and maybe even Davos's play in the treachery, even though yeah. this is why I thought that's so dangerous for Davos to do. Um, but, we'll, but we'll see. Uh, he said, continues, you said yourself in a previous episode, a little more wrongdoing, and I can see Danny losing it. I think her decision was unearned and out of line, but maybe this is a little extra push was not explicitly shown to us. Well, if that's the case, it's a failure because it needed yeah. to be explicitly shown to us. <laughs> that's the thing. That's what I've been saying. Like, they didn't show me the thing that would push right. Danny over the edge and in I, that I, moment. And, yeah, like, you got to show it to me or I can't, I can't just infer something that isn't, that isn't explained, that isn't yeah. on the screen. And we're not, we're not saying like, beat us over the head with it like it's right. like i love the way they handled varus poisoning danny yeah like you it's can super easily breeze over that and it feels like something it's so subtle that you're he's discussing it openly and you could miss it yeah um i love that and i think there's ways you could you could you could hint to that but um like like for example right before the battle is joined danny kind of imperiously looks at Tyrion and be like it's like uh i will see how well your brother does in in his uh when he when he returns with or we'll see what your brother does when he returns to cersei like letting her him know that she knows and they don't have to spell it out to audience how we know like you can make those inferences like oh well obviously the unsullied told their boss and their boss told gray worm and gray worm told danny and then danny probably made lot but you need something because mm-hmm. otherwise, how do we know that, you know, uh, Jamie wasn't busted out at five o'clock in the morning and sun rose at five fifteen and the bat and the battle of King's Landing began at five, five thirty, except for I guess the sun was too far up in the sky. Never mind. Never mind. I'm sure a fan has, I, has calculated yeah. angle of the sun and it was <laughs> that fan is not me. I don't know because <laughs> it wasn't high noon. It, she didn't come straight out of the sky. It was. Yeah. It wasn't it, first well, light, though. Like 10, like 10 a.m. Maybe you're talking me into it, Garrett. And she's been circling for a while, looking for a good, oh yeah, good time. She's been waiting like for the sun hours. to be right in his in, in Euron's eyes. Yeah, uh-huh. I need I need the sun. I need you to diagram a sundial for me, Garrett. I need you to figure out how many degrees <laughs> high the sun was, and then 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 I can get back. I can get on board with your surmisal here. Uh, okay, Leon T. I have seen and heard commentary that suggests the term Mad Queen is sexist and that the audience is judging Danny by different standards to male leaders and rulers. But isn't the term Mad Queen about how in this universe Targaryens are perceived? Isn't Danny being called Mad Queen a reference to the Mad King? Mm-hmm. Uh, other female characters have done heinous stuff without being universally labeled as mad, Cersei being the most obvious example. Oh, no. Oh, plenty of people, and, and my, myself included, have called Cersei crazy and psychopathic. Yeah. And I think that's an accurate description of her. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure the term Mad Queen means that males and females are being judged differently. I just think that this is how characters justify their actions to each other and themselves. And this universal perception of Targaryens is key to how laws and customs are defined in other parts of the kingdoms. It's one of the reasons that Danny is always going to have an uphill battle, winning the hearts and minds. The common folk would be suspicious, not because she's a woman, but because she's a Targaryen. This is especially true in the North, where the lie about Rhaegar and Lyanna was accepted as gospel. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't understand anything about any kind of sexist angle on this. The Mad Queen is simply a reference to her father, who mm-hmm. was titled the Mad King, mm-hmm. because of the lineage, like and and the potential to do to commit the same atrocities that he was trying to commit so mm. 
I, I don't understand. I, okay. I genuinely don't even understand where that's coming from. Uh, fortunately, we have the next email that's got a female perspective on it. Okay. Uh, Anna B says, I've been grappling why Danny snapped and what she did and decided to burn innocent people when she had won the battle. I realized that she ended up being in the same situation that her father was in, and she ended up doing what her father would have done had he not been killed by Jamie. This is an explanation I found on King Eris through the Game of Thrones wiki online. While Eris initially appealed to be or appeared to be generous and wise, he later became spiteful of the power of others, especially that of his hand, Tywin Lannister, who had once been one of his closest friends. Eventually grew paranoid of his own family members and a small council. Commonly remembered as a mad king, his reign became increasingly erratic and murderous. King Eris was betrayed by his former friend and hand, Lord Tywin Lannister, who led an army under the false pretense of defending the capital at King's Landing. When Eris opened the gates under Grand Maester Pycelle's council, Tywin proceeded to brutally sack the city. Eris ordered Jaime to bring him Tywin's head before ordering pyromancer Rosart, Rosart? Rosart? to initiate the wildfire plan. In response, Jaime killed uh, the pyromancer before stabbing Eris in the back and cutting his throat. Uh, okay, so there's the background. Danny had been betrayed several times in the past, but she's always had people around who are loved and supported her. However, in Westeros, she has known nothing but betrayal and starts seeing... Uh, betrayers all around her like her father even though she decided to help john with her dragons and armies to fight the dead and experience great loss doing so she feels she isn't appreciated or loved in westeros because john committed his betrayal uh thus she is right in the same position of her father was before the before he died except that she was winning the battle before she decided to burn them all which is an important distinction huge i don't think the only one either I think that when she's looking over King's Landing as the bells are ringing, she knows that she that even if she does let the city surrender and take the throne then and there, she will never fully have the love of the people because the message about John is spreading. And as long as people know the truth about John, she will have betrayers all around her life trying to get John on the throne and overthrow her. Um, so that's she decides to, like her father, burn them all because she'd rather people fear her um, when love is impossible. Um so actually, I think I might have goofed up the emails here, but I'm going to. OK, I'm going to go. So the, I, let, let's let's take it for granted that there are women out there who see uh, Danny turning to like the mad queen. Not necessarily she went evil, but there's she, she's characterized as mad as kind of insulting or a slap in the face. Um, I think that. If I'm trying to square the circle, because there's a lot of dudes that wrote in that said that, like, the, the idea that Danny being a mad queen is being sexist is ridiculous. Um, that this is what equality looks like. That if you, if you accept that women are equal to men, then they should be equally as crazy and murderous and bloodthirsty. And all that stuff is true um, to a certain point. And I'm going to see if I can find a middle ground here. Um, I think if I look at society... You know, uh, like like it's we're kind of uh, in in the in in female empowered kind of heroes terms and entertainment. We're kind of like, uh, do you remember uh, Anchorman, Jim? Mm, not very well. Yeah, the, the character Veronica Corningstone. Sure. And she was portrayed as being at least twice as good as an anchor person as Ron Burgundy and the rest of the the, the news crew. <laughs> That's underselling it, but yes. <laughs> but they saw her the fact that she would be a part like considered equal to them as ridiculous and mm-hmm. when they eventually lost and she was made uh the, their their war against her and she was made a co-anchor they didn't be like hey well fought fight uh lady 
uh, welcome to the team. No, they continued to try to rat fuck her at every single uh, opportunity and take advantage of her and trick her and do things that they would never do to another man, even one as stupid as like Brick Tamlin, you know, the guy who literally can't can't think. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that like we're at the stage now where um, there is a lot more strong female roles. Um, You know, you had a scene in the latest Avengers where I'm going to try not to spoil it, but like every woman in the Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of stood up together and kicked some ass. And five years ago that happened, the Internet would be inflamed with dudes being like, oh, how much of fucking forced feminism bullshit like you didn't even really see any of that in even the shittier parts of the internet. Like people are kind of like, okay, that's fair. So it's, it's getting there by saying there's enough women that like, has, has there ever been a, a, a female hero like this to get 72 hours of screen development and then turns out to be a crazy bitch in the end. And I think that does feel a little unfair. It feels a little bit like Veronica Corningstone muscling to the top and, 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 and elbowing her way to the table with the other dudes. And they continue to kind of like, you know try to shit yeah, on her i mean i i get it like it it look i'm sure it does not feel good when you yeah. identify so strongly with someone you assume is a hero mm-hmm. um and they turn out to be a villain yeah um but i never read this as danny is is evil because she's a woman or like like her her being a woman didn't have anything to do with it her targaryenness yeah no had everything to do with right. it and, and so this, i i yeah. Like, I, I'm not going to, you know, take away from people who feel hurt by this turn. Right. Because... Because it is how people feel, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a subjective thing, and it and it's, I think, understandable. You've invested a lot in this person or right. this character, and they've let you down. Uh, but I I always contextualized it not in Danny is a female, but Danny is a Targaryen. Yeah, and I, I just say, like, I don't think that anyone saying that is, like, a, a, a bad faith actor. I just say, like, I think I understand why women and another illustration of this is like i remember like 10 or 15 years ago when like women became more of a voice on the internet and in gaming right that there's a lot of like high-minded guys like when people like when women were complaining about why aren't there any female heroes why aren't there any people of color in these video games why is every fucking protagonist the same stubbly faced yeah glowering Nathan white drake dude. yeah uh like why is and 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 like a lot of these guys would come with this ps like well it's actually super sexist and racist for you not to be able to identify with the white protagonist. Why does it have to look like you? Flash forward 15 years later, we're like, oh my God, why is this trans person in this game? How am I supposed to identify with this? Why? Oh, you're forcing yeah. a black person. In. There's a woman in World War II. What is this bull? So it's like, there's, you yeah. know, like people have irrational feelings when the shit, the, the, the way they think that, like, and I don't think the women, the, I, yeah, I, this is not irrational. Certainly. I don't think it's irrational. It's like women are like, I, we thought we were getting this and we kind of yeah. got topsy turvy and it comes on a week where one of the states in America just like fucking outlawed abortion period. Uh-huh. And it's starting to feel like it's sliding into like handmaid's tale territory. So like there's valid reasons for women to kind of feel like the carpet was full, uh, pulled out from underneath them. And I think, yeah. you know. Uh, we shouldn't like be dismissive and, and it's fine to say like factually, Hey, I think they were going, but to, for the mad King analogy. And the other thing is like the double D's haven't exactly been exactly perfect in how they treat these situations because they're older dudes that don't really think about these things any more than your average dude does until they're forced to. So, I mean, the, the most offensive thing I think that, yeah. that 
that happened uh, as far as this female hero goes is the way the story was told. Because yeah. in my mind, they just completely shortcutted and botched this entire thing. And and that's a huge letdown. Like, right. you could almost see a turn where, you know, Danny goes mad and, and burns King's Landing if it was told better. Yeah. Um, and you might have understood it a little bit more. But it's, it's just kind of a double slap in the right. face when... It's also poorly told. Yeah. It's like, not just we're taking your hero away, but we're doing it in this shortcutted, we don't give a shit kind of way. Yeah. If it was mad, like, and I think also if it was mad queen in the sense of her just being angry, like, um, you right. know, like it, like in a wounded kind of um, uh, a traumatized kind of way. But it does feel like the most likely explanation for why she snapped is that it is kind of a some, certain sort of madness that like King Air, you know, that just this the targaryen um, yeah like thing. like she just went fire and blood for no fucking good reason even though every part it's it and you know we'll talk about this later on because um there's a lot to unpack here but like i think that's the other thing that stings too because you know the crazy vindictive bitch has been like a slur thrown against women for ever since men decided that they didn't like women getting uppity and demanding e- equal rights and, and equality in society yeah so. and it's just such a shame because when the story is told this way mm-hmm it makes it seem more like that's true, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, well, the dots don't connect, and therefore she's irrational, right? right? And she's doing this thing because she's a crazy bitch. Like, right. that that shouldn't have even come into the minds of of people watching this story. But when it's told so poorly, it has mm-hmm. to. Like... Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't. Or, it doesn't have to. But in the in the people who are prone to that yeah, kind of thinking, it will. Yeah. Or if you are, or if you actually were trying to paint uh, Danny as a hysteric, and you're like, hey, you know what? Equality is 2019. I'm I'm perfectly fine telling a story where the female gets subverted and she's just she's just fucking crazy and hysterical. Then take it on the chin, because like. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know if it's 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years or 50 years. Eventually, if things continue to go and we don't slide into fucking New Gilead, uh, uh, Handmaid's Tale territory, there will come a day where, like, you know, if if the government's 50% women and men and the the, the boardrooms are 50% women and men and, like, everyone feels and like they're, they're well-represented, the <laughs> then you can do whatever you want with men and women and yeah. roles. And no one can ever say, like, well, this is unfair because everyone's got a voice and everyone's had their chance to have their tales told. I just think that we're... Like, it's almost like... It's almost somewhat revolutionary vanguard to proceed with a story where, well, we can just make a woman crazy because it's 2019. Yeah, now's not the time. Yeah, you guys had Captain Marvel... Uh, so like it, it's it's yeah. time for us to remind that you guys can be crazy. And, you, yeah. you got one DC superhero and one yeah. Marvel superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. No, so, no. Now is not the time for that shit. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just want to have uh, there'll be there'll be more discussions to come. Um, let's see. Oh, Fidel A. Um, I wanted to point out your disappointment with the main issue of the last episode, Danny becoming the Mad Queen, it may stem from a radical difference in moral systems. It's very clear that you're disappointed because you felt Danny's behavior is incoherent with Danny's history throughout the series. During the last podcast, you made it very clear that every time Danny killed someone, she was absolutely justified to do so. You guys even compared Danny's victims to Nazis. Um, I mean, the way that was phrased almost seems like that's an unfair comparison. But, like, burning the slavers in Astapor, like, they're literally using people that they view as subhuman Mm -hmm. for profit and treating them as slaves like that's that is nazi i mean that's like you know like yeah. maybe even I, yeah whatever wouldn't make that comparison with tarleys but right sure. yeah tarleys aren't nazis they're like randall seems like a fucking asshole but I, he's not uh, just picked the wrong side yeah 
Um, it's very unusual in the U.S. to believe that killing someone may be just... Wait, I'm sorry. It's very usual in the United States to believe that killing someone may be justified even as punishment for past actions. Uh, thus, the existence of death penalty in your country. Uh, obviously, Fidel is not from America. Um, but uh, you justified the crucifixion of some masters, uh, of the masters of Marine, based on the moral principle prevalent in countries with Judeo-Christian foundations of an eye for an eye. There are many moral systems where killing is never justified, neither for punishment, which is obvious for 75% of the countries of the world that do not have the death penalty, nor for any other reason. Some moral systems do not even justify killing for self-defense. Hmm. If you judge Danny from any of these moral systems, and I do, Danny has always been a sadist and a murderer. Therefore, there's no incoherence, business as usual, in the destruction of King's Landing. Maybe, and admittedly, this is a big maybe, Germ or the Double Ds wanted to show how flawed a moral system that justified killing is, and that the difference between killing as a punishment or just killing for no good reason may be just having a bad day. Uh... What do you think about this, Jim? I think that's weird in context of Ned Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, Ned Stark was never shown to be anything less than a truly honorable man, and he dispensed justice in the form of death. Yeah. So if that is truly their intention with the you know the the double Ds or George Martin, uh, they have failed. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. No. I mean. So that's the thing, like, uh, if they're really trying to do that and they're bucking a the trend, because, yeah, I, I'm, I'm anti-death penalty, um, but I'm not a total pacifist. I actually feel that any moral framework that cannot defend itself under any circumstances, like if there's a moral framework that says killing is justified and we're going to kill all pacifists and the pacifists say, well, whatever you do, we're not going to defend ourselves, like regardless of what is the absolute like unless you're appealing to like a higher authority like god will you know we can do whatever you want on earth but there's a heaven and hell and you're going to hell and i'm going to heaven if you appeal to that fine that's a moral framework that works but to an, an atheist like myself if you're not willing to defend your life against pers- a person that would deprive it then i don't know what to do with that moral framework that seems like a like that like if you won't defend yourself from the extinction of people that won't respect your moral framework then what validity does it have and i feel like there's a lot more people that identify with that than not so like if that's the point they're making again just like if you want to make it the the fucking daenerys is crazy do it and take it on the chin but don't act surprised that like oh my god i rustled everyone jimmies because mm-hmm. any violence whatsoever even against slaveholders is unjustified i just yeah. don't agree with that so uh yeah you've 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 got you've, you've correctly identified my moral conundrum i guess here <laughs> Uh, Vanilla Pudding, I want to talk about Brienne. What they did with her and Jamie is inexcusable. I was all for this ship. She was told her whole life that she was ugly and undesirable, that she wasn't feminine enough to be loved. Their relationship was unconventional and briefly showed us that this was wrong. You can be strong. You don't have to conform to the gender stereotypes and standards of beauty that society forces upon you to be happy or to find someone who will love you for who you are. The strongest, most honorable, badass woman was just thrown away as a one-night stand, spelled K. N I G H T. <laughs> nice. I like that. Very nice. Yep. So he could ignore his whole character arc and go back to his sister because he's hateful and he never cared about the innocent. When he sacrificed his honor and killed his king for them, Brain of Tarth is reduced to a woman standing outside in her pajamas, weeping over a man leaving her, and I just cannot abide this decision. I. I don't have, like, you're coming to the wrong shop if you want def- uh, a defense of that because I totally agree. Yeah. Like, I don't, that's just fucking straight up brutal to treat Brienne like that. Um, and it's exceptionally cruel for Jamie to do so. Because, that, man, I, goddamn, 
What was he thinking? I mean, I can only go on the line that he delivers there, which is, I'm hateful, Uh and therefore I have no problem doing this to you. So I know a lot of people, because I had to take about, like, it's kind of weird for me that Brian and Jamie had the drink to get, like, themselves worked up to, like, having a consensual sexual relationship. Um, And a lot of people, there's some people that wrote in this week and last that said, you know... Brian's just a straight up virgin. Jamie, as far as we know, and I think it's made explicit in the books, has never been with another woman other than Cersei. He's never dated. He's never approached a woman. He's been in love with this woman all her life. So, like, these are both very inexperienced people in relationships and very scared and nervous. So maybe it would make sense to kind of lubricate that situation so they're not so freaking out. I don't think they were so drunk that, you know, obviously there's there's no consent uh, involved. But... Another way you could look at that is that Jamie knew he was doing something vile to a fairly innocent person and was very deeply conflicted and knew what he was doing was wrong and kind of like the way Tyrion gets himself drunk when he's going to do something cruel or or ugly or unpleasant. And uh, it's a valid way to look at it, but again, I just don't like it. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. And they did did my girl dirty, Vanilla, and I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, Haley B., we all know and agree how they screwed up Danny's character arc, so let's stop talking about that and instead talk about how well they did Arya's. Here, here. Miss Stark to the core was introduced to us as a small child who loves adventure and loves her family even more. All right, minus Sansa. As a result of her seeing her beloved father die, she starts on an adventure to return to her family only to hit dead end after dead end. By the point she and the Hound find out about her aunt at the gates of the Vale, she's already hardening to the thought that she is now alone in the world with her family gone. Uh, then she turns into a faceless man. As we all know, she struggles to abandon her identity during this process, ultimately leading her to leave the many-faced god and return to her roots. She's rewarded with the sight of Bran, Sansa, and Jon. And though she is not the same person she was the last time she was at Winterfell, her experiences have strengthened her love for the Starks. She can now use her faceless skills to protect them, which she does a la the Night King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She saved the entire realm by killing them, but quite literally, she kills him to save her brother, Bran. Skip through a conversation with Sandor, where she tells he tells her that she still has time to not be him. One of the many subtexts here is that she still has a chance to have a family. My one last hope for the final episode is this. Let Arya complete her journey from small child that loves but takes for granted her family to a medium teen lost with no family to a medium large teen with assassin skills to a full grown adult with the ability to finally protect her family, something she couldn't do previously. I know she will probably be disappointed um, or no, I will probably be disappointed and she will die trying to kill Danny, but please let her die killing Danny to at least keep her from Dracarising John. Please don't give her a stupid death. And for the love of the many-faced God, do not let her live if her entire family dies. They've done a beautiful job of telling her story. I don't want them to fuck it up. What do you think of this take, Jim? I think it's pretty fair. I I like it. As you guys know, I was pretty anti what they did with Arya because I thought this was another them curiously veering, like, like pulling up her arc before it should, you know, fly right into the side of a mountain. No pun intended. Um, but this email kind of turned it around for me because you're right. The difference between the hound and her is that she still has these connections to humanity left. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, she's young enough that she can cultivate those just as much as she's cultivated her death prayers and her meditations on vengeance. And it might not be too late. I, it, I honestly got to thank you, um, Haley, because I feel like this kind of has made me okay with, with Arya's arc in this last episode. And now, 
now uh that i'm reinvested i'm kind of afraid too uh <laughs> but it does seem like yeah. the, the one way for them to be faithful to this is to have if, if she's going to die and she's going to die killing danny have it be an act of defense rather than just purely vengeance mm-hmm. so um all right well let's let's move on to the next one Madman and father of Mad Max, George Miller, is back with another apocalyptic tale from the Australian wastelands. This time we're getting a prequel featuring the origin story of Charlize Theron's character Furiosa, starring the Queen's Gambit's Anya Taylor-Joy in the title role and the mighty Thor Chris Hemsworth as the warlord Dr. Dementis. Furiosa promises more high-octane, slightly radioactive action and fun. Furiosa drives into theaters on May 24th, and we'll have our spoiler-free thoughts and impressions of the film, as well as a discussion of trailers and upcoming movies for everyone. But if you want to ride with us the full length of the podcast on the eternal highways of Valhalla, shiny and chrome, you're going to have to be a club member. Join today at support.baldmove.com. Get our full discussion of Furiosa and many more first-run films, plus tons of other bonus podcasts and ad-free feeds. Support.baldmove.com. Jill W., I am wondering if anyone has given any thought to Arya's seemingly miraculous escape from King's Landing being engineered by the Lord of Light. If she was, in fact, the reason Melisandre was in Westeros and the reason Barrett continued to be resurrected, perhaps all the scene cuts during her escape was to allude to her being brought back again and again. And so could also explain the very uh, implausible presence of that white horse, especially the blast with Dragonfire. Everyone else around her was burnt Pompeii style, but Arya was virtually unscathed. Not sure how they explained this with only one episode left, though. Yeah. I do think there is something interesting. We, we mentioned this uh, on that, that interview we talked about on the, uh, the WCPO, the local Cincinnati uh, television station interview we did yesterday um, that we mentioned in the show notes, but, um, or the, the housekeeping, but... There is this idea that Davos talked about, like, after the Battle of Winterfell, when he's like, man, the Lord of the Light, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Looks like he was doing this and doing that, and now he's gone. I don't even know what to think. And they told this very particular story of, like, Beric Dondarrion uh, finished his service to the Lord of Light and died. Melisandre finished her service to the Lord of the Light, died. There's one kind of these fire whites left, and it's John or maybe Arya, too, what if John's purpose is to quote unquote bring ba- balance to the force by just by the last of the f- ice killing the last of the fire and then they both die or he kills Danny and then he just dies because the Lord of the Light's done with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think there's, I don't know. What, what, what do you think of that theory? I mean, aside from the, the idea that, you know, once you're done, you just collapse to a heap. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't really like that idea because we've never seen it. Um, but you think they but, could but tell aside- it? that story like if like his wounds started reopening and he started bleeding no, from all because no. like melisandre didn't do that uh but she turned into an old Bar- woman Barrick oh. didn't do that yeah but she voluntarily did it like it's not like oh well her her story is complete crumple yeah you no know, you're right neither I, was I, Barrick. he I went out said, sword like, swinging like if they wanted to tell that story the the ruby should have failed her and then she takes it off rather than her taking it off and then the ruby fails yeah, so. yeah. um so i don't think that part of it is is likely but yeah i I do think it's difficult to kind of come back around and say, hey, this Lord of the Light thing is what is preserving Arya uh, in these scenes because I didn't get any of that from right. from the way they told it. Uh, but 
but it's an interesting idea yeah and like it's one of those things where what the right kind of previously ons and the right kind of flashback and the right kind of yeah br- honestly brand he just comes out and says yeah what you need to realize is that you know like he can put it all in the context of the fabric of time i i think that could be cool I also think it's not a very fan bankruptcy thing to do to, to be pulling for this kind of resolution, but for sure, yeah. But uh, what are you going to do? We love the show. Uh, Kate, Caitlin T. I've seen a lot of complaints about Cersei's death as someone who hasn't, uh, and as someone who hasn't cashed in and declared fan bankruptcy. I want to defend why I thought it was perfect. The thing that was def- that has defined Cersei, other than being a mother, is her entitlement as a Lannister and queen queen mother she's always been overconfident and arrogant in the books it's clear that she admires her father tywin and thinks of herself as very clever while in the book version of cersei isn't as cunning as the show version the cersei we've seen on screen has been ruthless when ned threatened her about the truth of her children she didn't cry or plead with him she made her moves that kept herself and her family safe when she was supposed to go on a trial at the sept of baylor she instead burned the place down with her enemies inside after Daenerys attacks, Kyburn has to explain to Cersei piece by piece why each level of the defense that she has is failing. She's finally in tears, understanding her situation. She tries to escape, watching her Queensguard be slain by the Hound. Kyburn shoved aside to die, and the Mountain abandoned her despite her commands to stay by her side. Everything's literally crumbling around her. Before Jamie arrives, she isn't looking for a way to surrender. She isn't trying to riddle out a conversation with Daenerys. She's looking to get out. She goes with Jamie looking for escape. She tells him he doesn't want she doesn't want to die, and then she is crushed. She told Sands at the Battle of Blackwater that if Stannis men won, they wouldn't be as safe as women they wouldn't be safe as women. Many of them would be raped and impregnated by the morning. When it's while it's unclear how the battle went down, she's prepared to kill Tommen and herself rather than be handed over to Stannis. When Cersei dies this episode, she denies them the satisfaction of having her executed. To me, this was completely in character for her. Um, I don't, hmm, that, that subscribes or ascribes some kind of intentionality to her yeah, death. Some agency and, that I don't think she had. Yeah. I, I don't agree that she made a choice there. I think she got pinned in a corner. She was lost and in, accidentally right. got into a scenario she couldn't get out of. Um, but on the other hand, like, I think maybe you could say that she's doing her best to escape. She just didn't know how. Yeah, she is. Um, um she was afraid. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. I just. I guess I just resist any. Any. I don't think there's any need to humanize Cersei. Like she's I think at that point she's it's impossible, and she's cruel for at the uh, for others at the expense of herself. And it's true that she had to do that to survive. But a large reason she had to do that to survive is because she has been vain and cruel and mm-hmm. entitled ever since she was a little child. Yeah, it's and sort of self-perpetuating. Go back and start blaming Tywin for the ra- way she was raised, and you can blame the society for making her think that she would never be as good as a man, but, you know, w- all the forces that twisted her into the monstrous shape she's in, regardless, she is actually a, a fairly mon- a monstrous shape at the end of this the series. I agree, and so. it's that fact that sort of makes me not have any sympathy for her in the end right. and for that scene to not really resonate with me. Right, and I'm not saying, like, I guess I said... It's 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 important to humanize people like Cersei because I don't want people to come away thinking that um, there's no way I could ever act in this way. You know, like I think mm-hmm. uh, like a wise human should always be on guard against their worst impulses and be aware of uh, try to be as aware as their biases and how self-serving we can be as, as much as possible. And, and the more power and the more privileges we have, the more we should keep that in mind unless we want to live long enough to become the villain. So, but 
you know, I'm also not going to fucking cry over Cersei. I might have wished that she had a better death, a more epic death, like dying peace, relatively peacefully and instantaneously in the arms of your lover. Being comforted is doesn't sit well with me, but you know, that's like Fidel saying, "I'm I'm kind of I do kind of subscribe to a little of the Judeo Christian." Uh, th- there should be some kind of like I feel like justice does require something more than that, but we don't live in a just world and. For damn sure, nobody in Game of Thrones does. Yeah, I think the closest they came to ever humanizing Cersei for me was the shame stuff mm. that she went through with the the sparrows. Uh, that yeah. stuff came pretty damn close to making me feel some kind of sympathy for her. Yeah, well, and not that, but like the, the the the. I think the reason you feel for Cersei is because she's not getting justice. Like these mm-hmm. these fucking the yeah. high sparrows, insane too. Right. Right. So, and they're all a bunch of fanatics. So it's like, uh, yeah, you want Cersei to be brought to ju- justice, but by someone that's sane, not mm-hmm. by someone that's even maybe more capricious and yeah. insane. You want that justice to be righteous, not not some kind of you know more fucked up version of right. Cersei taking right. Cersei out. Right. Yeah. Josh F. The capital ex- uh, punishment example that Aaron gave during the main podcast was kind of ridiculous to me. I have to assume it's a rebuttal to people pointing out that the man she executed in season five has evidence that she was teetering on the edge of madness, but that simply does not compare in any way to the man being accused of an actual crime, being given a trial, and being executed regardless of his guilt or innocence. Here's what happened. The Sons of Harpies, at, uh, the Harpy attacks, killing Sir Barristan and wounding Grey Worm. Danny, in her grief and anger, gathered up Hisdar and a few other Marinese noblemen bros who weren't slavers. Uh, their parents were executed for that. Danny says nothing of the specific crime and simply scares them by talking about her dragons being hungry. Danny then picks one of them out of the lineup and has her dragons burn and eat him alive without saying shit to him or even accusing him of anything. She does this purely as a fear tactic to get the others to talk, not as punishment, execution, and it fails miserably because none of them were guilty. She even gets a crazy bloodlusty look in her face when she's talking about how they might all be innocent and she should maybe let her dragons decide. How is doing that in any way comparable to innocent people who are being tried for crimes using actual evidence and being wrongfully convicted, being executed as punishment? Well, the problem with analogies is they're never perfect. And if you want to tear them apart to find the the one thing that invalidates it, you certainly can. But the way I see the world is, and at least in America, I can't speak of anywhere else in the country, that it, I've been persuaded that... S- by many, many studies that there's something between two and 4% of people in death row that are innocent. So governors, and there's like half of the States in the union still practice in some form of capital punishment. The governors who could, 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 could pardon these, these men are saying that they're fine with one out of 20 people that they execute being innocent. I find that to be in opposition of the other frequently stated, Judicial, uh, judicial justice principle in America, which it's better to let a hundred guilty men go free than to punish one innocent man. And nevertheless, even though there's this obvious hypocrisy and moral quandary that these governors face, I'd be very surprised for any of them to firebomb a U.S. city because they want to eliminate a gang or something, right? Mm-hmm. So, like that, like Danny doing something that is justified in like a very medieval kind of mindset when you've got a terrorist attacking. Like like civilian targets and uh you know running roughshod over the city like I'm not excusing that I'm just saying that like that's essentially the governor that would uh go ahead and not reprieve a person knowing that one out of twenty of those requests is going to be an innocent man 
then then not being being surprised that they're not going to indiscriminately kill innocent people does that make sense and if it doesn't i don't know if i can help you because like that's as clear as i can the analogy is not perfect i'm just showing like trying to illustrate how i view the world and and the conclusions i came from watching this episode uh heather l I'm curious on your guys' thoughts on the next episode, though. Wait a second. Can I have another take on that? Heather L. I'm curious on your guys' thoughts on the next episode uh, as far as the following point. It feels like it's headed towards Danny dying, but what I haven't heard anyone talk about is Drogon's reaction to this. If and when Danny dies, how will Drogon take that? Is there enough of a bond that he will feel the loss and go on a path of destruction out of grief? Will Jon, as a Targaryen, be able to calm and control him? Will he fly off into the sunset back into the history books? I know this is a minor plot point, but it's been eating at me that I haven't heard anyone else discuss this. That's a great question, because you've got the biggest baby in the world that's very protective of its mother. You gotta have a plan to deal with the dragon if you're gonna kill the dragon, the mother of dragons. Yeah, I would think so. Hmm. I mean, John has some affinity with these dragons too. But... Yeah, but if he goes up and stabs Danny, runs her through right in front of Drogon, I doubt that's gonna carry the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what method they would have of dealing with Drogon. Yeah. <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. Um. I, there's lots of pieces here to work with. Like you've got, uh, you know, Arya, who's a skilled assassin that might be able to. Um, what did they kill Danny and just uh, Arya wears our, uh, Danny's face permanently <laughs> just to be a surrogate mom for Drogon uh -huh. until he's ready to grow up and move out of the house? Yeah, how many goats do they have? Could we <laughs> can we get like a whole bunch of goats and sort of yeah. bribe Drogon into? Yeah. Like maybe we can we can distract him like like leave some some goat crumbs and he can follow the path out into the wilderness and then we can kill Danny and Drogon will come back and be like where is Danny and be like I don't know she left I do think Drogon's going to die though because I I, and I would it, I would think so it's yeah. just almost because it's just he's too big of a man I don't, the other thing is I don't know what kind of wrap up like what kind of I've always expected that there'd be at least an entire episode devoted to, like, what Westeros is going to be doing after all of this is done. Like, what kind of trajectory? It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Or if we get it, it's going to be, like, five or ten minutes at best. But mm -hmm. it's, I, I never thought the dragons would be part of Westeros going forward because it's just too, you know, whoever has the dragons has all of the de facto power. Yeah. Like, even if there is a, even if there is some kind of constitutional monarchy, even if there's some kind of democracy, the person that has the dragon has all of the power. They can share it, but if someone replaced them and had the dragon now, then you're 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 fucked because you just can't go against it. Like it's just mm -hmm. too too. It's like one person having nuke and no one else has nukes. Um, so I think he's got to die, not just to, to to pave the way for killing Danny. Um, it could possibly be that someone just heroically sacrifices himself to kill Danny, knowing the Drogon's going to kill them. It could be that's why we kept Bronn al uh, alive. And then he, Drogon just kind of flies off to like old Valeria or something, just like yeah, like you like like goes to live with the Stone Men. Yeah, yeah, like Tyr like um, like, like so. So what did Bronn say to Jaime and Tyrion? Like you guys aren't allowed to die. You can die. You're not allowed Only to die I by a dragon. You. You're not yeah. allowed to die by sword. Only I'm allowed to kill you. Jamie's dead. Tyrion's not. I, I, I could, is there a scene where Tyrion's like, "Look, Bron, you want Highgarden? You got to fucking earn it." One more thing, Bron. because Danny's not going to give it to you. You have to do so. 
I could see. I mean, he's the, he's already shot Drogon once before. Also, there is no better offer on the table at this point right. for Bronn. Right. Who's kind of pushed all his chips in the middle with Tyrion and Jamie. Right. right. So I don't know. I would be I would I wouldn't be surprised to see Braun involved in the disposition of Drogon and Danny because otherwise, what the fuck? Why bring him into season at all? Yeah. Um, He'll be back. We'll see we'll see Braun one more time. Yeah. Uh Mallory W. Uh, I know others have probably had the same take, but I'll jump right in. Uh, I'm a metalsmith, so I've always been interested in the way Game of Thrones has used jewelry over the course of the series. Like you, I was captivated in the moments leading up to the execution when Varys removed his rings. This is a very deliberate act, and there's a split second of focus where we get a glimpse of his rings twisting around his finger. It looked to me like there were several gemstones missing from their settings. I think this is a clear indication that Varys is trying to poison Danny as the show has hidden poison and jewelry before, such as Sansa's necklace leading up to the Purple Wedding. There's a long history of poison rings throughout art history. It doesn't look like Varys removed all of his. There's a larger signet ring, for example, that didn't seem like it was placed in the chalice. So I'd guess that there's more in store for these little rings other than her five seconds of fame on screen. Um, that's that actually, I love that because I think they did such a great job of subtly telling the story of the poisoning that if that's just another, like it doesn't, if you don't understand what he's doing, it doesn't affect the story at all. But if you do notice that there's missing gems and like, oh, these are all my poison rings. It seemed like he was, he probably knew he's dead, but he's also, Varys is a guy that plays a percentage. I'm going to burn the evidence. I'm going to get rid of the poison rings, and I'm not going to give yeah. Danny any reason to jerk Harris me. Maybe this will be some kind of trial, and I can get Maybe through it. Maybe I can talk it. myself yeah. out of it. Maybe I can appeal to, yeah. So I had read about this theory oh, uh, yeah? yesterday, and I dismissed it out of hand because the evidence was non-evidence. Uh, they were simply saying, hey, in the past they've used jewelry as a weapon. Varys takes off his jewelry. Maybe it's a weapon. Right. Nobody had ever said, hey, there might be... There There looks like there are missing mm-hmm. gemstones from the settings. Yeah. That, to me, is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. And I think this is like a... This is one of those theories that's kind of like... Um, ah, God damn it. I can't use this theory because... In-game spoilers. Um, <laughs> well, let me let me continue on on that. Because yeah. then they went on to speculate on no evidence about the missing gemstones. Uh-huh. That simply... Uh, maybe he's taking them off to allow somebody else to find them and use them on Danny later. That is a really hard sell to me because you're going to have to do some heavy lifting next episode early on to make that work. I think the previous thought of him taking like notice, like like noticeably taking his rings off, and they've already had this like kind of waif character, no, this little but, bird character. Right, that... the the little bird would have to go to someone mm-hmm. and be like, "Hey," he said, "highest risk, high reward." Like uh-huh. maybe that's echoing in her ears, and she's a northerner who's mad. Yeah, but... I mean, now's the time she could go like to John mm-hmm. or Tyrion or somebody and say, "Hey, Barris was actually you know planning to try to take out Danny." He's still got his jewelry in this bowl. Let's do it. Yeah. But I don't know. She she seemed very scared in the moment. The guards were watching her. Yeah. I'm. It'll be interesting. I, I think they can tell that story. I It just has to be done well. And at the moment, my uh, stock in the double Ds is pretty damn low. Let's move on to Kurt K. Uh, the penultimate email. I think there is a case to be made that the story told in the bells actually outshines the Red Wedding. In the Red Wedding, we were shocked by the subversion of our expectation that characters that we love uh, will live. We are ultimately satisfied and ultimately read on because despite the shock, it made narrative sense and created a compelling story. Yes. The Bells, we were shocked by the subversion of our love for certain characters. We were angry because uh, 
because our love for these characters is broken and because we are blind to clear character flaws that made narrative sense, which to me is more shocking, difficult, and impressive than a Red Wedding. Mm. Most hmm. watchers are still blind to it. Taking Daenerys as an example, her core character flaw is that she relies on violence when she is not loved. She is not able to find paths forward with parties that do not absolutely agree with her on vision. Uh, the groups that love her have been acquired through violence and shared hatred. She lacks love in Westeros and is at complete loss for how to move forward with Sansa, who is reasonably different interest. She nicely summarized the worldview she solidified in Essos at the beginning of the episode. Uh, Cersei seeks to use compassion as weakness, but we will use it as our strength to free future generations from tyrants, basically justifying any level of violence and assuming it will lead to love. She characterizes a group of people of the reasonably different interest as a chain uh, on betrayers at the beginning of the episode. Uh, she recoils at any form of legitimacy that rests on a political process or love for the masses, i.e. when she discussed secession with Tyrion. As an aside, I think Jamie's interest ending makes Euron more tolerable. We needed a foil to oppose that uh, him that exposed his love for Cersei without subverting the good man that he had become. Okay, I don't know what to say about that final part, but um, I mean, again, I, 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 I don't know how else to exp explain this. Is like I'm really totally fine with with what went on with Danny. I just needed one little thing, and it felt to me like there was tons of little things that could have happened. And the double D's threw those pieces away for shock value, for surprise, for and and gave those like you know the death of Rhaegal. Uh, the death of Miss Sandy. Uh, they get they just threw those away for very little like narrative effect, and that's my opinion. Uh, and at this point, it's going to be hard for me to be moved off of that because what you guys keep doing is further justifying the foreshadowing and telling me that this <laughs> fall to Nad Queen, Mad right. Queen makes narrative sense. And I'm saying I fucking we agree. agree with you. We both agree. With I you. agree with you. Yes, I agree with you. However, in How that moment. Right. Nothing made sense. Right. The the if you wanted to depict something where the the foreshadowing led inevitably to this outcome, you have to do you have to do something in that moment that that is less than total victory. Mm -hmm. Because that's what she had, total victory. Mm -hmm. And maybe she didn't have the love of the people yet, but she had an opportunities in front of her to earn the love of the people yeah. by sparing those people, by yeah. taking out only Cersei, only the absolutely necessary pieces here. Right. And then, so, like, I, I think I've been using this Luke Skywalker example wrong. So, like, I've been saying, like, you imagine, like, Luke Skywalker gets to the throne room and joins the Emperor and kills his father. <laughs> that's perfectly foreshadowed throughout the oh, yeah. Holy Trilogy. Like, that, sure. that's a perfectly that valid happened. way to take Luke. I wouldn't have liked it, and it felt a bit like I would have cried my fucking eight-year-old eyes out, and I'd burnt all my Luke Skywalker underoos and, you know, got rid of his action figures. I don't know what I had done. But, like, I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be narratively invalid, and I'd be like, okay, it makes sense. Now, imagine... That he threw his lightsaber aside, the Emperor shocks the shit out of him, he gets the thing that he wants, which is Vader redeeming himself, and he throws him at the reactor, and as Vader's sitting there slumped over to side, Luke runs his lightsaber through, through him, throws him in the reactor pit, assumes control of the Death Star, and destroys the Rebel Alliance, and, and rules the galaxy as the, the, the dark Jedi that he was always supposed to become. Sure. That's fucked. That is super fucked because there was nothing to justify once Luke went through and got the thing he wanted, why he just went evil, except for he went crazy or the dark side or whatever. And I just find that ultimately if it's if it's mumbo jumbo, magical craziness or whatever, it's it's not as it's not as satisfying as a person using their agency to to, 
to 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 get the goals that they wanted and i don't know like i i don't know how more how better to explain it than that i needed that one last thing i needed that you know like like if if vader is rasping and says glad we took care of the empire emperor now we need to go kill your sister right so we can rule the gal you run him through and you take the death star and then yeah but but then that still wouldn't justify him like turning completely it's like there's gotta be something that would that would at the pinnacle of victory push him over to the uh, other side and if it you know again there's lots of reasons for you people uh to smooth this over narratively because it does make so much narrative and thematic sense and it is a subversion and we're trained to love subversions in game of thrones and i'm not begrudging you that i'm not begrudging you that i'm just trying to clearly accumulate uh, communicate the actual problem i have with the plot so we're not arguing about the things i don't have a problem with yeah okay um Anyway, Gregory M., if Dragonfire can destroy buildings with little issue, as was shown in episode 805, then why is Heron's Hall still standing? <laughs> in Fire and Blood, as well yeah. as The World of Ice and Fire, it mentions melting the towers, and it shows the melted towers in the second and third seasons of the show. Valerian the Black Dread was a much bigger, was a, the biggest Targaryen dragon, and he did not lay waste to Heron Hall, so how did a much younger and presumably smaller dragon in Drogon do so to the entirety of King's Landing? It's a very good question, I think. Um, I think that, like, you could probably figure this out. There's some kind of material science in in Westeros. Like, Heron Hall was made out of this, like, black stone material that probably is a different than the bricks that King's Landing are made on, which is essentially just... Bricks are just pottery, right? What's the, what's their mortar made of, though? Like... Uh, wildfire. Wildfire mortar? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't... Uh-huh. It, it didn't make a lot of sense in retrospect, but, you know... Yeah, but I'm not... Look, that's nitpicking, right. I think. Um, and I've certainly engaged in it, and I occasionally enjoy engaging in nitpicking, mm-hmm. uh, as as was the subtitle stuff in the last episode. But, right. you know, I, I, I actually agree with you. I think that's a weird uh, thing. I, I think it's weird to portray it like that. Mm-hmm. But that's not the thing I'm up in arms about. Yeah, and I, I think that like it's like uh, there's a couple other things. So the material science angle, like if Drogon breathed fire in a beach and it turned to glass, and he breathed fire in a field of grass and it burnt, you wouldn't be like, Whoa, because you intuitively understand that you melt sand melts yeah. and grass burns. And I think it's that kind of situation. But the other thing, if you you don't want to go with that, uh, is that Balerion the Black Dread breathed canonically black fire. What? Um, what just does like, that mean? Just like the undead uh, Viserion breathe this hellacious, like blue, glowing, radioactive fire. Um, there's other fire dragons that had like gold fire and red fire, like, and, and these are magical beasts. So it's entirely possible because black fire is not a thing that actually exists in the real world. That that was a special property of Balerion the Black Dread. That he his black okay. fire super melts at a atomic level. Uh, it's like that uh, <laughs> that air purification system we were selling a couple weeks ago. It just just uh, rips it rips the castle structure apart at the molecular level, or maybe that's the, the that's a Drogon's thing. And Balerion had the black fire, which is more of a melty type of fire. I don't know. They're semi semi magical uh, demigod like beings. Uh, uh, it, it it's it's going to be very hard to explain it from a like a Bill Nye the science guy type of perspective, right? 
Uh, and that is the emails. That is the spoiler edition we had this week. Uh, but as everyone knows, we are not done with Game of Thrones. There is yet another episode that has a lot of stakes because I do think there is a lot of people in the middle. There's a lot of people that have, are willing to declare fan bankruptcy and try to see if we can get something that's emotionally satisfying, something that maybe makes some prior plots make more sense. Um, high stakes high risk episode coming up this Sunday. And we only got good promises that we will be on the air uh, shortly after doing a live podcast on it for club members. And we'll have an instant takeout for everybody else uh, just a little bit later. We'll have the full coverage on Tuesday. We'll have a final spoiler edition where among other things, Anthony and I are going to try to piece what a potential winds of winter dream of spring scenario would look like using the book characters and setting and just roll that forward with the events that we saw in the last two seasons of Game of Thrones and see if that makes us feel better. Uh, and then also we will have at least one wrap-up podcast after all is said and done yeah. um, where we try to uh, put this together. And then, you know, because eventually this feed is going to turn into prequel Game of Thrones yeah, HBO if you, feed. If you're not currently subscribed, now is probably a really good time yeah. to subscribe because who knows when that thing is going to be out. Right. Uh, but we will be covering it and we'll be doing it right here. And we'll be feed, like if so. you're a book fan uh, or if, even if you're not, but you do you like the lore, let me read the 700 page volume two Targaryen <laughs> history and give you the highlights of it. Yeah. Uh, if Winds of Winter comes out, we'll have a kind of a book club style discussion of it. Um, there'll be lots of activity in the meantime between the, the prequels coming coming out um so what we're trying to say is dracar is that like button yeah that subscribe button yeah <laughs> hammer that with the hammer of bobby b uh yeah. hit that like and subscribe button and uh <laughs> and, and, and buckle in because we're not going anywhere gods of sorry gods of thrones.com is where you go to buy my book game of thrones at baldmove.com is where you go uh to send email and feedback you can also there's there's tons of rollicking threads going on in forums forums.baldmove.com uh, again, we'll we'll see you see you this Sunday night for our instant take. And until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>